It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, and thank you for joining Jesus Christ Ministries Global's Word of Life Bible Study on tonight. This is our last Bible study for the year 2015. I'm really excited about what the Lord has done through the teaching of the of uh, His Word and, and and getting to know the Holy Spirit. And now we've been dealing with uh, or looking into the spiritual gifts now for a couple of months, and I'm really excited about all that I have been learning by by studying the Word of God, and interesting to see what others think about these spiritual gifts as well. And so I'm just grateful tonight. If you have your Bibles, let's list those, or your smart tablet or your iPhone, whichever phone you have, which may have your Bible on it, and let's make this declaration if we can. If I receive this word, repeat after me, please. If I receive this word, if I receive this word with my mind only, with my mind only this, oh, word, this word will be dead, will be dead for me. For me. But if I receive this word, with the spirit over my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form and fashion. I need life. Now say to your neighbor, neighbor, let's get some life in here on tonight. Neighbor, let's get some life into you tonight. I know that's right. Good evening, and thank you for joining us on this evening. We are going to continue our teachings on getting to know the Holy Spirit, these spiritual gifts. Tonight I will endeavor to get through the exhort gift, the gifts of exhortation, discerning of spirit, showing of mercy, giving, administration, words of wisdom, and words of knowledge. So if you have your Bibles, turn in them to Romans chapter 12, verse 8, and that's where we will get started. Romans chapter 12, verse 8, and we're talking about exhortation. And I'm just going to read very quickly here, uh, verse 8, not all of it, but just a portion of it. And he who exhorts, in exhortation. So whoever possesses the gift of exhortation fulfills a ministry that's closely related, although, or I like to say connected with the, uh, the Christian prophet and teacher. Uh, and, the, and the difference between them is found in the more uh, personal approach of the exhorter. A preacher and a prophet usually stand and they prophesy to a large group of people. That's not always the case with an exhorter. An exhorter may just be some may come up to encourage a, a few people or may uh, encourage one person, um, but they are similar in that they exhort or encourage and empower one another. Now, if the exhorter were to ex- succeed, they would have to be given um, the per- persuasive power of love. So you just can't get out and say something to somebody. You need to, you need to we, as we say in the ministry, you're going to 
Um, one of our, I see Bishop Morton used to do it so well. He used to, if he chastised you, or he, you know, a word exhortation could be uh, encouragement. It could be, you know, um, uh, it could be uh, discipline, or it could be, uh, you know, just I'll get to that a little bit later. But you know, it could be uh, not just, uh, you know, encouraging you. It could be, it could be to warn you. It could be to you know, put you on the straight and narrow, if you will, or it just could be to use to uh, give you advice. But uh, he used to, and one, I remember one guy that he, we were told that he talked to the guy when he left out of Bishop's office. He didn't know that Bishop, he didn't realize that Bishop had just fired him. He was just so happy. And so Bishop, Bishop uh, Morton had the way of, of uh, disciplining you with love. And uh, I've had my my share of that discipline as well through him, so I, I can talk from firsthand knowledge, experience that. Uh, I mean, he's an awesome man of God, and and that's what an exhorter does. He, you know, I guess if I were to liken an exhorter to someone in, in another sense, is um, somebody you know that you want to encourage and empower somebody. They do something they shouldn't do. You get on them about it, but. You do it in a way that's very positive, very loving. That way they walk out of there feeling good about themselves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish you, but I want you to know why I'm doing it, and I want you to know that I believe that you're, you're above this and beyond this, and so I believe that you'll overcome this and, and because that's the kind of person you are. So we want to just, I want to just, you know, encourage you to, you know, do this or to do that and don't just um, get, an, get an attitude and, and walk off and say, well, forget this and forget you. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And, of course, we've seen, I've seen a lot of guys like that on the ship that, uh, and, you know, where we've uh, taken them to, uh, you know, non-judicial punishment and where they receive not, not a punitive uh, punishment but uh, an administrative form of punishment. And um, they were punished and they didn't like it and they walked out of there. They didn't take it. They didn't take the advice, the positive advice that was given. And they walked out of there throwing stuff and cussing and saying whatever you want. And then they wouldn't listen to anyone. So needless to say, what could have been avoided just by dealing with that, just accepting the punishment for the for your actions and then taking the positive feedback that you received or counseling that you received as a result uh, and then grow from that. No, they had to do something altogether different. But an exhorter is somebody that encourages, that empowers, a person that speaks words of wisdom, that speaks words of warning, and gives advice to an individual. Uh, and uh, and I love that part of it. And so an exhorter's goal, then, is to win Christians to a higher way of life and to a deeper self-dedication to Jesus Christ. Um, I had my own personal struggle this past weekend because, and, and you know, and because of, well, because of I'm not seeing the ministry do what I was expecting the ministry to do uh, within this by this time, and so I was all over myself. But uh, my wife and then the Lord ministered to me, and I, I feel much better now. Uh, but you know, it's important to have somebody to encourage you to to, to let you know that you you're on the right track, and, and God was able to minister to me in that area along with my wife. So the Holy Spirit is the one who bestows the gift of exhortation with the gift of speak of uh, speaking spiritual truths, and that's so important. We don't want to just go 
go to anybody and listen to anybody because some people exhort you in the wrong way. They tell you to go upside somebody's head. They tell you to cuss people out. They tell you to go and throw a rock through their window or, you know, and go spread a, a rumors about them and all those kind of things. And uh, Or, for example, if you and your spouse are having challenges, you go, well, blah, 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 and, you know, your spouse is talking to somebody and, and he or she says what's going on, and then and the person she's, he or she's talking to says, well, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't do this. Instead of encouraging, you say, well, yeah, you know, marriage is like that. You go through your challenges and your struggles, but you have to find a way to work through these problems because because I know that he or she loves you with all their heart. So if that wasn't the case, then the struggles wouldn't be there. So somebody that exhort you, just encourage you. You need somebody that, that that's, you know, been through it. You can't just choose. You can't go to just anybody and talk to anyone about some challenges that you have. Go to somebody that you know is positive that will build you up, not tear you down, that will lead you astray. Let me give you some scriptural, um, a couple of scriptures here that deals with the, the gift of exhortation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. I'm going to read it in the King James, New King James Version, and then I'm going to read it in the New, in, in rather the King James Version. And, I, and I'm doing that because there's a word that I want to point out as we go through this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, New King James Version says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's a form of exhortation when we consider one another uh, and stir one and stir up love and good, you know, and good works. That's what we call exhortation, exhorting someone, and that's what an exhorter does. And then, of course, the King James version says, "And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works." And that word provoke is another form, another use of the word exhort. And let us exhort unto love and good works. Uh, by consider by the word consider, uh, the Hebrews author, and I say Hebrews author, and identify him that way is be- him that way is because we don't know who the Hebrews writer is, the author of that epistle is. Um, some speculate it may have been Timothy, others may speculate it may, be, may have been Paul or uh, Titus or someone. We don't know, so we will just simply not add or subtract from the word. We simply um, just recognize that the Hebrews that the Hebrews author is encouraging Christian Jews who are under pressure from Jews who follow the Mosaic law to, to, to turn away from Christianity and come back to practicing Judaism. Well, of course, we know that those who practice the law, uh, they're... they're Salvation had to be by works, but when we, and by the grace of God, Christians, when they, when we receive salvation, our salvation comes because of the work of Christ, and therefore not of anything that we have ever done or can possibly do. Therefore, uh, it is a grace thing. It is a gift that God has given us, and so salvation is a gift from God through Christ who suffered and died on the cross at Calvary for our sin, paying the penalty for our sin. And, um, but in the Hebrews, 
in 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 Old Testament, that's 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 a works thing. And Paul tells us that um, if we could have, if they could have been saved by keeping the law, then there would not have been a need for a second law or the New Testament. That's what the New Testament is. The, the New Testament is the new law or the new thing that God is doing in the earth today. So an exhorter, we know that. And so, <clears throat> so they were receiving pressure from the Jews to revert back to the Mosaic law. Uh, and, and Paul and the Hebrew writer is saying, take care, be careful now, take careful note of each other's spiritual welfare. So you know that this is happening. You know that a brother or sister may be under pressure to go back to doing some things in the world, like, come on, let's go out and party. It's just a club. It's just one night. Come on. Here, take a hit of this joint here. Take a hit of, uh, let me shoot you up just one time. Or take more, one more hit of this, this crack cocaine or or what have you. I mean, it's just one time, and then before you know it, you're right back where you started from. And you didn't, and God didn't save you in order for you to go back to where you where He brought you from. Uh, and so you don't want to tear down that bridge. Uh, you don't want to go back down that road. Why would you rebuild a world, a life of destruction when you've been delivered from that life of destruction? And that's why He says, you know, you know, watch out for one another's welfare. Be careful. You know, to watch out for one another. We ask the question. That's one of one of our um, one word in our vision is solidarity, uh, and solidarity is. And we talk about the oneness of the unity of a un, being united. But we also use it as solidarity as another term for using it as my brother's keeper. I am my brother's and my sister's keeper. And so, as Christians. We must look out for one another, and we must always be ready with a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation to help in that moment when, when, when one of us are going through uh, the challenges of this life. So that's very important. And so pay close attention to and be continue and to continuous care of one another. There is strength, my brothers and sisters, there is strength in unity. Uh, and an exhorter is also one to provoke, and that's why I wanted to go to that King James Version to use the word provoke. And the word provoke in this instant means to stir up or to encourage each other in their faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of their persecutors, regardless of the, the struggles that you are dealing with. Uh, like me for Sunday, like Sunday after coming home and, you know, having dinner and all that and taking my Bible and going upstairs and, sitting down in the bedroom on, on one of our chairs, and uh, and I began to just think about the past two years and seven months. It's been 27 months now, <clears throat> and how we started out and where we are now. And, you know, I started questioning my call because I was looking at, and, and I know that Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. But at that particular moment, that scripture escaped me, and all I could think about was maybe I lied on God. Maybe God didn't call me, and maybe, I, maybe I'm not supposed to be a pastor. And if God didn't call me, then I've lied on God, and so now I have to repent of that. And then on top of that, I, and I'm ministering, and, and then I'll get, and there's not something in my notes, and then I'll be ministering, and, you know, I'll start out ministering from my notes, and then then something completely different from my notes, and nothing is in my notes about it but the Holy Eye, and then I get this picture 
that I can expound on or, or give an illustration of what the word is saying. And I would always say, thank you, Holy Spirit. And then I started beating myself up and saying, I'm blaspheming, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That means I'm in, I'm damned now. So there's nothing for, I'm, there's no way for me to go. I'm, 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 I'm my future is to see, my, my, my eternal future is sealed. I'm going to hell. All of the things that the devil deals with and beats your mind up with, and it's interesting because my wife brought out that, yeah, you're teaching on the Holy Spirit, and then you're teaching on the superiority of Jesus Christ uh, in your, this series in Hebrews on teaching on the superiority of Jesus Christ. And, and then all of these things started flooding my mind, and I, and I just lose it. You know, I'm just weeping like a, you know, and, I, and in, in between my tears and my crying, I said, God, you know what, God, still, even though my, my, I may be going to hell, I'm still going to serve you with everything in me. I still love you, and I'm going to serve you even regardless of the, of the outcome of, of my eternal life because I love you and I trust you and, and, I'm, you know, and I can't thank you enough for all that you do for me and have done for me. So I still, you know, even though I'm hurting and, you know, and I'm looking because I'm looking at the way things are instead of seeing through my faith eyes and, and believing and continuing to hold on to the fact that God called me and that I am in the right place at the right time and that God is the one who's responsible for building his ministry and my responsibility is just to submit to him and be obedient and preach the word and declare the word to others. And so when I got to that point, you know, it's just I'm just I'm just trying to be real with you and keeping it real that we all go through struggles. And I identify with Abraham because at 75, God made him a promise, told him to leave home. And then at, at um, 86, he has Isaac, I mean, he has Ishmael through uh, Hagar, the Egyptian slave of his wife, Sarai. And then, of course, at 99, God says, you will have a child. And so in a year from here now, you, this time next year, you will have a, a son. And see, Abraham was concerned that he would not he would not have an heir now, and at 100 years old, he's going to have an heir. And that's 25 years after God called him and, and made that promise to him that he, his name, he would make his name great in all the earth, and he told him that if he could count the number of stars and the grain of sand, that that's how numerous his his chill, his all his descendants will be. And but Abraham, you know, felt discouraged because he didn't have a child, and he was old. And he started, and when when God told him that at at ninety nine that he was going to have a child, but the following year he laughed and 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 Sarah was ninety years old at the time. So really, God is that. But, you know, God says nothing is too hard. He asked the rhetorical question, is there anything too hard for God? And, of course, we know the answer is no, there isn't. But we still go through the wilderness. We still go through the challenges, and sometimes it is not easy. And that's why we need somebody there to, to encourage us, to, to just bring us back to reality and let us know that God has called and God has done all of these things and He's still working with you. Those are, and having someone there to, to empower you when you don't feel like you're worth anything, when you feel like you've just wasted your time and you've wasted your life and you begin to doubt, not God, but you begin to doubt, doubt yourself and you begin to doubt whether you lie and you begin to question whether you're telling the truth about what God did for you and what God said. And so all these different things that we encounter, 
And I just wanted to be transparent on tonight and let you know what I'm talking about. And my wife gave me some words of encouragement, and she said, I'm going to pray for you. And I tell you, that's very powerful. So if you know a, a fellow Christian that may be going through something, it's easy to put them down, but it's, but it's just as easy as a Christian, a believer, to lift them up by, by encouraging them and praying for them. Here's the second one, second, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. We, we all want to consider ourselves to be rocks, but, you know, rocks have feelings. <laughs> Human rocks have feelings, let's put it that way. We may not see, people may not seem like they have no feelings, but they do. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. And it just simply says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, here Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, and, and we believe that Paul is now in Macedonia, and he's writing to Timothy, whom he left back in Ephesus, uh, and he left the ministry there, left him over the ministry there in Ephesus. And Ephesus and the Ephesian Christians are under attack. The church is under attack from those outside the church. That is, by those who wanted to teach other doctrines, says uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and your fables and endless genealogy, yeah, genealogy. So in three words, Paul instructs Timothy to do. In three words that I chose here, that I, I, I've highlighted here, that Paul, in, in, that, in that fourth chapter, 13 verse, Paul gave to Timothy. He says, give attention to reading. That is so important. Back during the Jewish time, during the Old Testament times, and even, um, and, and turn to Luke chapter 4, if you will, start at verse 16. He says, give attention to reading. This was the normal practice of the Jews that, that uh, you know, back from the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, is that when they entered into the synagogue, one person would, they would ask somebody to read, and that person would stand up and they would hand, the attendant would hand him the book uh, of the law, and, they would, and that individual would choose a, a verse or to read from, and then he would hand it back to the attendant, and then he would ex, ex, expound upon what he has read. And so that was normal practice to, to do public reading or reading in the congregation, if you will. And this is where we, and this is what Paul, uh, Luke says here. And if you like to to read that, dear, uh, if, if you like to read that, you may, um, but you don't have to, because I think I just summarized it for the most part. Luke chapter four, verse sixteen through twenty, verses sixteen through twenty. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set in liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So we see that when Jesus entered the synagogue, he there were there there were those there, and he gave and he and he stood up to read. 
And then he returned the book to the attendant, and then he sat down. And then he began to expound on the word. That's what they used to do during the Jewish time. Uh, And we do that today. I feel that we do a form of that today, and we're in that. um, We do that when we're getting ready to do, uh, when we do our devotion. Our devotion consists of our scripture and then our prayer. Uh, and, and then when it comes to the reading of, when it comes to the ministering of the word, the first thing we do, uh, you know, we exhort one another, but then what do we do next? Because when we get ready to get into our sermon, we stand and we read the word of God. We give you a passage of scripture from which we are going to minister, and we ask you then to turn there, and we begin, and we read that out uh, aloud. So that same practice is, being t- is, is still going on today. I think it's an excellent um, practice because you're reading publicly and you're reading to the congregation so that they can hear the word. And, of course, we know that faith comes by what? Hearing. Amen. The word of God. Amen. And then I want to just read Acts 13, 15, and then we'll move on. Acts chapter 13, verse 15. Because I want to try to get to some of the other um, spiritual gifts here tonight. And after the reading of the law, is that it? Yes, ma'am. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So, yeah. So you see, this is always important um, to, to read the word publicly, but you can't just read it. You need to elaborate on it. You need to. People are people are hungry. People are going through hell right now, and people are dealing with some issues in their lives where you, they don't want to just hear you read the word. They need to hear what that word is saying, so that it can minister. So the Lord can minister to their need, and the Word of God always ministers to the need of those who will hear it who will receive it. And, and, and so um, they always look for a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement, a word of warning, a word of empowerment. You know, I love it when somebody pats me on the back and say, man, I'm really grateful to you because you, that word really ministered to me. So, and so that's just another, so that's just one another scripture where we talk about the word exhortation. And so the New Testament gospel and epistles being recognized as inspired by those who had the gift of discerning spirit, the spirit were from the first, according as they were written, uh, uh, as written, they read in church. They read it in the church. The word of God, they read in the church. The second word is, and Paul mentions another word in this, in this 13th verse. Not only is it to give attention to reading, but he also says give attention to exhortation and to exhortation. That is, not only was Timothy to read the scriptures to the congregation, as I stated earlier, but he was also to explain the meaning of the scripture he had read and instruct not only just read it but and explain it, but also instruct the Christians on how to apply the scripture to their daily lives. That's important. Um, I love what James says. He says, uh, show me your faith without works, 
and I will show you my faith with works. It's one thing to hear the word and have the word. Accumulation without a simulation uh, is nothing at all. It's just, it's just possession. But when you take it and you use it, you give of it and you give it to yourself. You, you walk in it, you apply it to yourself, but then you exude it and you live it out in the presence of somebody else that is not Christian. You have, uh, you have an impact. You can influence somebody. Uh, in a way that they never expected to be influenced, your life literally can be the one thing that changes the lives of other people just by coming into contact with you. This is why I love talking about this. I read about um, uh, Livingston and over in Africa, and guy went to pick him up and to bring him back, uh, and while he was waiting, he was in the presence of Livingston, and he said, Livingston never said a word to him, but it made him want to become a Christian simply by his presence. And that's the thing that we must strive for. We must strive to, to have the Spirit of God fill us and emanate through us that light of Christ that is so visible, so palpable, uh, so bright that it makes people want to become Christians simply by being in your presence. Peter walked by and people gathered their sick and put them alongside the road just so that by chance Peter's shadow might, might pass cross over them and they would be healed. That, that encouragement, that word is in him. And the word, when the word is in you and, and the spirit of God is operating through you, Look, there is so much that, so much of an impact that we can have that is just, it's just mind-boggling. Not only that, but Paul, by faith, and they're sweating. They took some some cloth and they wiped him off, you know, wiped his face with it, the sweat, or touched him with it, and they went out and took those cloths and those we call them, many people call them prayer cloths, and they touched the sick with them, and the sick by faith uh, were healed. I'm telling you. That's powerful. So that word exhortation in itself is encouraging and empowering people. And when you do that and people see that in you, they want to be around you. They don't want to be around people that are negative. It helps them to see the difference between a person of Christ and a person of the world, a son of a son or daughter of God and a son or daughter of Satan. It's very powerful when you walk in the word walk in the word, that's exhorting even the word itself. And the third thing that Paul uh, tells Timothy is to give attention to doctrine. And the word doctrine means teaching. And so this is teaching, and it may refer primarily to teaching the truths of the Christian faith by means of questions and answers. Sometimes we'll stop and we'll say, okay, do you have any answers? Do you have anybody have questions? Anybody have comments? Because uh, what God may not be, what God is saying through me, may spark you to may may move on your heart. He may move on your heart to to add to that to help clarify what is being said. So um, it's important to you know to make yourself available for questions if if are if there are any. So let me stop right here before we move on. Are there any questions on exhortation? Okay, so the gift of exhortation may be so the gift of exhortation may be either exhortation, 
uh, that urges someone to pursue a particular course of conduct, or that's in Jude number three, the third verse of Jude, or it may be consolation or comfort in view of someone's trial or tragedy. So um, the word of exhortation is just powerful, and, and, and I'm so happy that, and I'm grateful to the Lord for the privilege of studying his word and being able to draw on these nuggets that, that we discover in the word. And then there's the spirit, the gift of uh, discerning of spirits. So let's go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Discerning of spirits. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. And I'm just going to read it very, just that particular passage that deals with that script, with that subject, that, sub, that title there. Uh, to another discerning of spirits. So in the early church, before the before uh, we have the Bible as we have it now, uh, uh, God gave direct revelation to individuals who would communicate that revelation to the church. Uh, but now, so but how how and so the question is, how did the early believers know whether or not revelation was true? How do we know to date whether or not revelation is true? And how could they tell if it was from God or from a false spirit or from a human or from just from the human spirit? Uh, and, of course, those are the same questions that we have to date. How do we know? And so those having the gift were given this supernatural ability to be able to determine if the revelation was from God or if it was, from some, if it was a false message. You know, Abraham said it this way. I think it was in um, 1818. Let's do Deuteronomy 1818. Um, I'm going to run there real quick. And then, well, let me just do to the first. Let me go to First John chapter 4. Let me just go there. First John chapter 4. Just hang out in the, in the New Testament here for a little while and shop around. Explore, bounce around, explore a little bit here. First John chapter four. I'm going to read verse one. Sorry, verse one. Beloved, <clears throat> do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. But this is what I like. Verse 4 here says, but you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in, the, in you is greater than he who, that is, who is in the world. So they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world and the world hears them. So, uh, but uh, we are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know that the spirit of truth, and we know the spirit of truth, and we know the spirit of error. And so it's just important to know that um, the multitude, the the number of, of, of examples there, given by John's, uh, John the Beloved is, 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 you know, pretty clear. 
And then, of course, Moses in Deuteronomy 18.18 says, if it it doesn't come to pass, then it's not true. And that's how you can tell between a false prophet and a true prophet. And that's how you can tell between, that's how you can discern, and that's what the uh, discerner of spirits do. They're able to pick up on things that are just not right, you know, with with what the person says. And they see that it's not, it's a, you know, it's a spirit that's operating in them, and it's a spirit of deception. It's a spirit of lies. And that, of course, we know the father of lies is who? Satan. He is. He's been. A, he was. A, he was a liar from the beginning. Jesus says. So he just. A, and so, um, the, those who have the gift of discerning of spirits. Uh, can can pretty much discern whether there is a false spirit at work or if somebody is just speaking from their human human side, from their own emotions or human spirit. So those having the gift were given the supernatural ability to determine if revelation was from God or if it was false. See, John's exhortation to test the spirit has reference to this, and I just read that to you. So similarly, when two or three spoke the revelation of God in the assembly, I'm talking about the church or the congregation. Those having the gift of discerning of spirit were to determine if it was from God. You know how we have the prophets. Paul talks about the prophets in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. He says, when he's talking about those having the, you know, the gift of discerning of spirits, uh, where he talks about prophesying, rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Right, right. So if, if um, and these would be, the prophets would speak, but those who would interpret or those who would, who would judge or, in other words, interpret, or will be the ones that can tell whether this person is speaking the truth or not. And God has given that person the gift of discerning of spirits. And, and we know that the spirits are, are, are at work all the time. I, and they won't be as blatantly um, obvious as Satan himself is, when, as Satan himself was, when Jesus came out of the wilderness in 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and prayer in the wilderness and then, and then tempting Jesus three times trying to get him to do something. See, Jesus recognized Satan when, when Satan was at work. And so sometimes he's very subtle. And if we're not careful, in fact, Second Corinthians chapter 11 talks about that subtlety in, in, in a way that not very many people pick up on it. So let me just go there real quick. And uh, Paul is talking about, I'm going to start at verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And none of this is in my scripture here, so I thank God for his holy word. Um, but I consider, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 11, verse 5. I'll give you time to catch up because I probably mis- misquoted myself, misstated where I was going to read from. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. For I consider 
that I am not of all inferior to the most eminent apostle. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? And and just hang in there with me because um, I want to go somewhere with this. I want to point out something. And I may just be able to scoot on down a little bit further. Okay, yeah. Let me just hang out with this and just read it all anyway. Did I commit sin in humbling myself, verse 7, that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God? To you for free, free of charge. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And he's talking about how the uh, uh, various churches gave in order to come to Jerusalem to, for Paul to bring help to the Jerusalem church at a time when the Jerusalem church was struggling. Uh, and when I was present with you and, I, and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, so, and so I will keep myself. And as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, because I do not love you. God knows. In other words, he's being, he's being facetious here. He really does love him, which is why he's going through all that he's doing. But, I, but what I do... I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles. Here we go. Such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. And there is no great thing if his ministers also transform them, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their work. So there always, no matter where you turn, there are going to be those who will deceive, whose whole goal is to get over on you, to, to get over on Christians. Well, you're a Christian, so I know that. You know, you, you won't do certain things, and I, and I know that you, and if I hit you, you've got to turn the other cheek and, and all this stuff, and, you know, and God said this and God said that. But, you know, you, you have to discern. And so discerners of spirit can tell when somebody's lying and when somebody is telling a falsehood, and they're just trying to get over on you. So I wanted to just bring that out. So I love it. So there are those who believe that this gift is no longer active in the church because we have sacred scripture and all the revelation we need is in the Bible. True, all the revelation we need is in the Bible, but we need God's spirit to reveal what is locked into the word of God. Revelation doesn't, you can read the word of God, but if the the spirit of God doesn't crack open the shell of that word, and pour out of you the content, you were just reading words. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So we still need the spirit of discernment. We still need the spirit of revelation. Another word for discernment, again, is a revelation. And so that's why we just have to. And so I don't believe 
that that is the case. I know I don't believe that at all. If that were the case, and this is my heart, dear my heart, if that is the case, then God would have exact would have um, what would I redacted that from the scripture. It would no longer be there. So it has not. So it cannot be correct. And I don't know. And that's what people think. And I'm and I'm here to tell you, I I disagree with that vehemently. I didn't disagree with that. So every person now, listen. Every person has to a limit some measure of discernment. What do you mean by that? If you, as parents, you can pick up on when your children are lying to you, can't you? You know it because something just ain't right, and you knew that, and you you knew they were lying, and you caught them in it. And then and they even though you caught them in it, they still held on to the lie. But <clears throat> that's a form of discernment, if you will. So you pick up on their lying. Uh, a mature woman, when people a mature woman can pick up on when someone is trying to take advantage of them. You know, someone, I'll just say a guy. But nowadays, you never know whether it's a guy or a woman. The point is, you can tell when somebody's trying to get close to you, trying to trying to get you take get what you have or take advantage of you. You can pick up on that. And shame on you when you pick up on it that you don't call them out and, and tell them to get away from you. Shame on you. And if you go along with it because you because you might be needy or because you're whatever your reason is, you're thinking low of yourself. Don't think low of yourself. You are more than what you realize. You are so much better than what you think. You have you have so much going for you and that's why and that's why that person or those people are coming to you because you do have something going for you that is so great. Your light is shining, and it's, and it's emanating from you. It's not your light, but it's the light of Christ emanating from you, and people see that, and they are drawn to your light like a moth is drawn to a flame. And so you have to be careful. You have to be discerning. You have to know who it is that's trying to hit on you, that's trying to come, upon, come on you and, and try to convince you or sweet-talk you into doing something that you know in your spirit isn't right, and you feel it inside of you that it's not right. That's a gift of discernment. Uh, I love it. Is that helping somebody? So, uh, so to discern means to discriminate or distinguish between good and evil. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, the Hebrews author says, but... He's talking about the infants or the you know the the people who have been saved a long time, but they are still babies when it comes to the word. They're not they're when they should be teaching somebody else. They're still in need of somebody teaching them. But here's what he says, and then he goes on and he he, he you know that he does a, a contrast between the one who still needs milk the milk of the word of God and the one who, adds the, who eats the meat of the word of God. And then the meat of the word of God is, is simply this. But strong, five, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. You never give a baby uh, solid food until, until they're, able to, they're, they're able to chew it and they're able, their system is able to digest it. And so you have to give them milk. But a, but, but a strong 
uh, but strong meat belongs to the grown-ups in the word, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Thus the gift of discerning of spirit is the ability to discern the source of a spiritual manifestation, whether it is of the Holy Spirit, whether it is an evil spirit, or whether it is just human, the human spirit, or the person is just uh, just just coming out and doing it on their own. No motivation from 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 God. No motivation from the devil. It's just that that that's who they are. It's just their nature, if you will. And so I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And then First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse twenty nine. First in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse twenty nine. And we're talking about discerning of spirits, uh, which is the one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about getting to know the Holy Spirit. And we can teach until Jesus returns, and we still won't exhaust all the teachings about God, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit. We still will not have cracked open every meaning of every word written in the Word of God. We simply wouldn't. Because it's just that it's just that rich and condensed. Uh, but First Corinthians, in First Corinthians chapter one, chapter fourteen, verse twenty-nine, the apostle Paul says, "Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the others discern." We talked about that earlier, and I'm bringing it back around again. So this this seems to say that someone with the gift of discernment should be present when the gift of prophecy is used. So apparently in Corinth, the gift of discernment was just as common as prophecy. Let, and it says, let, let the other, then when Paul says, let the others, that means plural, that means there's more than one, judge, and that word judge means to discern. So Paul says, let the prophets speak of two, prophets speak two or three, and let the others discern, or let the others uh, judge uh, whether what the prophets are, what these men who call themselves prophets are saying is actually true. And that means that they have to be in tune with the Spirit of God. And that means that the Spirit of God will reveal to them whether what these men are saying is true. So all spirit-filled believers are, as I stated earlier, in a measure able to judge um, vocal gifts operation, operations on the basis of whether they are spiritually edifying the body. In other words, let me put it to you this way. There are some people that have come in and they will start talking like talking up a storm. But the question is, are they edifying you in the world of God? Are they building you up? Are they building up your spirit, man? And that is your spirit within you. Are they building you up in your spirit? And if they're not, then they're not coming from, that word is not coming from God. That's coming from someplace else, some form of deception. So you really have to be careful because those who come and speak a word, uh, they may not be there edifying you. And you can really discern it because like Satan, they'll use a certain word, but they'll put a slant on it. They'll, they'll read the word of God, they'll put a slant on it. They'll quote the word of God, but they'll leave something out. They'll put a slant on it and they'll and make it make it more towards their for their favor and to get you and to deceive you. Eve was like that. You won't surely die. He know that the moment that you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open and you will 
you will know, then you will be like him of knowing good and evil. So these are the kind of things that you have to really guard against. That's where discernment comes in at. And I encourage every believer to pray to God that he will give you greater, deeper discernment uh, in what people are saying. And I like discernment in the sense that I can see the spirit of the word. I can see as soon as it leaves the person's mouth, I can see in their demeanor that they are getting ready to lie to me about something. So the gift of discernment of spirit is not the judging of people, but rather the spirit behind the revealing or the manifestation, whether holy, whether evil, or whether human. So I, I'm going to pause right there and ask if you have any questions or comments. All right, well, let's go to the our next uh, spiritual gift, and that is showing mercy. And that's Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Let's go there. It will be it's very brief, so we won't be in it very long. Romans chapter 12, verse 8. And it says, and it reads, Romans chapter 12, verse 8. And I'm just going to read, And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. To show mercy is the Greek word aion. Aion. And yeah, that's E-L-E-O-N. Aion. Uh, E-L-E-O-N. The Greek word aion. Uh, and it means to feel compassion, to show mercy or pity. And so in the, first, in the life of humans, I'm sorry, in the life of the human life of Jesus, showing mercy was healing the blind. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Healing the blind is a form of showing mercy. And our Lord was exquisite at what he did. And I am, I am so grateful for all that he left us to give us that to encourage us and empower us uh, to be ready to remain faithful unto him. Uh, so in the human life of Jesus, we see that Jesus showed mercy by healing the blind man in nine, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And here's what he said. Uh, when, let me just go here. It says, two blind, it says, when Jesus departed from there, Two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe? This is a faith thing now. Do you believe? Do you, do you have absolute confidence that I am able to do what you asked me to do, to do this? Then they said, Yes, Lord. Now they recognized him as Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your what? Faith. According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Their faith, by the, the consequences of them, the fact that they were able to see, tells you that they had the faith to believe, and that Jesus could open their eyes and give them sight. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Listen, Jesus 
gave sight to the blind. Ah, love it. And then he gave aid to the Canaanite woman. Turn to Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. This got to be the Syrophoenician woman. I love this story. I love this. This this is such a powerful, powerful uh, demonstration of faith and perseverance, persistence. If you was persistent, I like to call this persistent faith because I'm I'm watching this woman and I'm listening to her and she had a mission and she was she was not going to be deterred at all. Listen, let's go back. Let's start at verse 21. I I was I was 15, but um. Let me just go to uh, let me just go to verse twenty one. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, verse two. I was going to go to verse twenty two, but I want to I want to look at uh, Matthew fifteen twenty two. But I'm going to start at verse twenty one, and I'm going to just read all the way through the verse twenty eight. And it says this: Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, this is not a, this is not a Jewish woman. This is a heathen, a Gentile woman. And yet she's calling him Lord and son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her, Not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. The truth is, she was not crying after them; she was crying after after Jesus. And then, and but and then, but he answered and said, "I was not sent except to the lost house, lost sheep of the house of Israel." Then she came and worshipped him. Lord Amber, I'm telling you, when you want to get to, you want to, when you want to melt God's heart, just start, just fall down and worship him, saying. Lord, help me. That's a cry of desperation. Not only is it a cry of desperation, but it is a persistent, faithful cry of desperation. She would not take no for an answer. And But verse 26, but when he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, she could have taken offense right then and there, but she, she had a mission. She had a purpose. And she said, and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I'm telling you. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. I'm getting all up in He showed mercy to this woman because she was persistent and she would not take no for an answer because she believed that he was able to do that. And Jesus, by her faith, showed mercy. Uh, I'm here to tell you. I, I, let me finish this. And there's another scripture with the healing of the lepers in Luke chapter 17, verse 13. And we'll get out of here. Luke chapter 17, verse 13. I won't read that, but I want you to read that on your, when you have some time during your quiet time. Now, the gift of showing mercy would thus involve showing compassion and help toward the poor, the sick, the troubled, the suffering people. That is, caring for the sick and the afflicted by praying and by visitation. And sometimes, 
and showing mercy sometimes is just taking with some of what belongs to you, knowing the state of somebody that's in poor shape, a condition they're ill or something, and then giving them, taking and giving them some food so they have something to eat to help them rebuild and regain their strength uh, because the sickness is wiping that strength away from them. Every Christian has some responsibility to show mercy to the poor and afflicted, but there are those who, by being gifted by the Holy Spirit, is to carry out the works of compassion as an anointed ministry. So the one possessing this gift should perform acts of mercy with gladness and not of drudgery. I hope that this is. Um, I hope that this message on tonight uh, ministered to you and, and helped you to help edify you and build you up a little bit more in your knowledge and who and in, in, of who Christ is and what Christ did by His death on the cross and God through Christ sending forth the Holy Spirit uh, to to really minister the Word of God to you and to help you to grow in your Christian walk. I hope this was simple enough uh, and clear enough for you to understand. Are there any comments or questions before we uh, before we conclude? All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. If there's someone that does not know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sin, uh, or if they're if they're backslid and they want to come back to Him, we love to pray that prayer of uh, restoration to you for you tonight. Uh, if you are if you are looking for a church home and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you to become a part of Jesus Christ Ministries Global, we'd love to have you become a part of this ministry. There's much work to be done in the kingdom of God, and we are just one we're just one part of a greater body of our Lord Jesus Christ throughout the earth. So we'd love to have you become a part of this ministry. If you're in need of prayer, we'd love for you to 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 just tell us what your request is and we would love to pray for you tonight. But um, in, in any of these areas, you can. Uh, we would love to to, to uh, hear from you. Well, Father, we thank you tonight. We give we give glory and honor to your name and to to your person and to you and to you for who, for all that you have done. And the word that you have spoken to us tonight, let it take root within us. Let us grow from it, Lord God. Give us the wisdom to walk according to your word, according to the leadership of your Holy Spirit. Take your word, Lord God, and and press it deeply within our hearts. Let it take root and let it grow, Lord God, like a tree within us, a tree of knowledge that we may walk in the confidence and the assurance of who you are and whose we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray for healing, Lord God, in the bodies of those who are here, in the minds of those who have joined us on tonight. I pray for strength, Lord God. I pray for assurance, Lord God. I pray for comfort on tonight for those who are missing loved ones, Lord God. We know that it's not easy, Lord God. Uh, we pray for those, uh, the families of those who, be, who were victimized, Lord God, in San Bernardino, those in Paris, Lord God, who are still mourning the loss of their loved ones as well. We pray, Lord God, for the uh, for just for all, Lord God, who are dealing with the, the the wickedness of this world and suffering because of it. We pray for every living soul on this earth. Doesn't matter what they've done. We pray for them, Lord God, that they will have a, an opportunity to come to know you in the forgiveness of their sin. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. 
now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're four minutes over, but five minutes over. Thank you for joining us on tonight. Uh, and, uh, and may you have a blessed and prosperous Christmas and joyous Christmas and New Year. Thank you. You Thank as well. Thank you. Okay. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay. Love you. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.